No one is too far gone, save they have the humility to acknowledge their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the love of God is big and deep and wide. And uh, so thankful for that this morning. And uh, maybe that's you this morning saying, I don't know if there's a place for me in the kingdom. There certainly is. And Jesus died for you and for your sins. I'm equally excited that when Jesus saves us, the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit comes into our life, giving us new life and the hope of salvation, eternal life, that he doesn't leave us the way he found us. He doesn't leave us in the gutter, leave us with our addictions, leave us with our anger problems, with our greed, with our lust, with our selfishness, but he begins to train us. Sometimes it's slowly but surely, and others of, for some of us it's more slow than surely. But he's just relentless on conforming us to the person of Jesus. And, uh, and so we're not to conform to the pattern of this world. That's what everybody does, conforms to culture, conforms to society. But once you are saved by God, there's an inner work that begins to take place, and it begins to affect our lifestyles. We start to have new thoughts. We start to have new passions. We start to lose some desires or gain a dislike for things that hold us down, sin that so easily entangles us. Today's talk is entitled Lifestyles in the Church, and it comes from Titus 2. Titus uh, was a follower, uh, came, to, came to Christ, learned of Jesus through the Apostle Paul, and Paul is writing to Titus in this letter, and he has set Titus in charge of the island of Crete to help them grow, to know Jesus and to grow in their faith. And so that's where we're going to hang out. Titus 2, 1 through 6. If you're following along, there's note sheets um, that you might have picked up as you came in. And on the back, there's fill in the blanks to help you track. Verse 1. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly... Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of the Lord. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to hear your scripture today. Let it penetrate our heart and truly bring about change, Lord, from the inside out in our lives. We invite you, Holy Spirit. And we wait on you. Because it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The island of Crete was a rough place. Paul notes in the first chapter of Titus that even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Some of us, we've grown up in certain families or certain circles, and all we know is the life we've seen. And the only way we know to act is the way we've seen modeled for us and we've experienced. And the people of Crete were such the case. Everybody was a liar. They were gluttons. They were lazy and um, crude. And, and Paul is, is telling Titus, these people, we just brought the gospel to them, and they have put their faith 
in Christ, a good many of them. And they are saved from the judgment to come, and they have eternal life. They need help now, understanding that God has a new normal, a bigger picture, a better life, a more noble calling that's filled with purpose and meaning and is rewarded for them to walk in. And so, um, verse 1, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Titus has a job to do. Um, He's going to help the people of Crete get their act together. But in seriousness, there's a lifestyle that proper doctrine gives birth to. There's a natural link between healthy doctrine and healthy living. Um, Sound teaching leads to sound living. If a person's faith is genuine, then doctrine and life will harmonize. And so Titus was to admonish the Cretans. Number one in your notes, lifestyle needs to align with beliefs. There's a new and better lifestyle that's available for us once we hear the voice of God. The kingdom of God looks very different than what many of us have perceived in our surroundings and what's normal by today's standards. Um, Much of our world lives according to unchecked passions or worldly wisdom instead of by God's guidelines and his principles. Pastor quoted Ravi Zacharias a few weeks ago. He says, today's culture hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings, but not God's children. The Spirit of God teaches us another way and gives us strength to look differently and walk differently. We don't have to stay the way we were. We, don't ha- we can, but we don't have to. We don't have to. There's power for us, wisdom for us. So how should an older man behave in today's culture? How should he order his life and conduct his affairs? What should his focus and mission be for an older man? What about an older woman? What about a younger man or a younger woman? What type of self-control should they exude? What should their life look like? Verse 2. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Our culture paints a picture of old guys maybe being out of touch, past innovation, maybe dirty or perverted, foolish or uncapped, let themselves go, undisciplined, spiritually apathetic, no spiritual leadership, no spiritual depth or passion or fervency, grumpy, lack of patience, maybe very passive. Number two, God's plan for older men. We just read in the verse... Two, here's the list of five things. Self-control. They're not abusive in speech or conduct. They're not a slave to their own passions and feelings. They have self-control. Two, they're worthy of respect. They live above reproach. Three, they live wisely. Four, they have sound faith. Five, they're filled with love and patience. They're not hard-hearted. They don't lack love. They're not short-tempered. They're filled with love. Older people that are filled with love and overflowing and have patience. The Bible speaks highly of age and the important role of older men. I remember when I was in college and I was in Minneapolis and going to be returning Uh, for a weekend to visit my parents and to uh, attend a men's retreat that was being offered in the Black Hills. And before I went, I just had a lot of time to pray and read my Bible. And I was reading about the verse, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I was thinking about the older generation, and I felt God um, challenge me or put on my heart to challenge some of the older men at this retreat 
to love God with all those four facets of their life, even up in age. And I thought to myself, they're going to think I'm a college guy going to school, and I have, oh, he has all the answers, a whippersnapper giving us advice. And so I knew that. I knew that that's going to be the perception, what I felt like God wanted me to share something. And I felt like I needed to help the older men understand that the younger man needed to see passion in the older generation or a fervency that was still alive and real and that it wasn't just uh, something you do when you're young and then um, become passive when you're older. We need, how how strengthening is it for the spine of younger men to see older men that are gung-ho for God and speaking the truth and living life with purpose and the um, Bible's filled with men like that. Caleb, in the book of Joshua, he was 40 years old when Moses sent him and Joshua into the land of Canaan to spy out the territories of where they would be. And they came back and gave a good report, and, um, and they wanted to take the land, but Israel was filled with too much doubt, too much fear. They said, we can't go there, we won't go there. And, uh, and as a result, they didn't for 40 years. And um, finally, when they went back to, um, they finally entered the promised land, they conquered some of the territories that was promised to them. And they got there, and Caleb says in verse 10, um, he says, now as you can see, this is in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, now you can see the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and today I'm 85 years old, I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Caleb was wholehearted at 85 years of age. And and him, unlike most of us, uh, he was still very physically fit at 85, he says. And um, I read that, and then I thought, oh, we have a couple Caleb's here. We played wiffle ball last Tuesday night, or maybe two Tuesdays ago, and we're all out there playing. Uh, one guy, though, hits a ball, and he's running the first, and then he goes for a second, and he's trying to beat the throw to second, and slides into second, safe. And who is the one that slid on this field? 72-year-old Marshall, right? <laughs> Hitting the ball and sprinting and sliding and beating out the throw. <laughs> Marshall and Caleb are brothers. I thought, wow. But you know what? Even, even though our bodies wear down, not all of us have the stamina of Marshall or Don Fechner, who's going to be 90 this next month. Here's a gem verse. Here's a gem verse for the older generation. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power. To this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Yeah. Let that be your prayer. Yeah. If you're upward in years, if you're a grandfather or getting past grandfatherhood. <laughs> Listen to Luke 2. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as required by the law, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praising God said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, 
the baby's mother. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. 85 years old, or no, he was older than that, speaking truth, timely truth that we have today, and blessing Mary and Joseph and the baby. Old guys in the Bible who were, who were in the Bible who were rocks, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, David, even after his big mistake, he finished strong. Daniel was very old, yet continued to be an advisor for three different world powers, Babylonians, Persians, Medes, Simeon that we just talked about. Some of the oldest men gave us our scriptures. Paul was not a spring chicken. John wrote Revelation very much up in years. Questions that older people, older men might deal with after the kids leave the house or after retirement becomes reality. Ask, what now? What's left? What's my place? What are my contributions now? God submits that older men are to be driven by a deeper meaning, not driven by their wounds or by mere feelings, that they are to make strategic moves, intentional, that they are to mentor, that they are to be standard bearers, rock, unmoved pillar of doctrine and values, special contributions, leave a legacy. A different picture for older men that God has, a powerful picture and a picture that became very clear to me when I married into the Lee family and went to visit the Carble family, uh, my wife's grand, grandfather and grandmother in Illinois, and witnessed something that I hadn't seen or even known about or that could exist in my growing up years. Uh, my grandpa and grandma on one side were gone. Uh, grandpa and grandma on the other didn't really know the Lord, didn't live for the Lord. But I came into this house, and this uh, grandpa would gather the family around during holidays, and he would read from the Bible, and he would pray over his family, and we would sing hymns. And whenever we would just go and visit, my wife and I, or family, every, every time before we left, he'd put a hand on my shoulder and a hand on Cassie's shoulder, and he'd pray blessings upon us, protection for us, that we would grow to know and trust the Lord. And he was a rock in his 80s, a pillar and an encourager. There's a lot of rocks in our church at Life Church right now. Men that have served God and are still serving God. Yeah. And still speaking, speaking out yeah. truth. And we need the older men. They're so important to our church. Similarly, verse 3, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women. Our culture often paints the picture of older women as diminishing in worth or value. It says that if you don't look like you're 22, then you must not be of much value. The normal expectation is that an older woman will be a gossiper, a busybody, meddling or prying into the affairs of others. They'll try to control things, often through manipulation. Uh, they'll be critical of others. Number three, God's plan for older women. We just read the verse. There's five things spoken of. Number one, live in a way to honor God. What pleases you, God? How can I please you today, my Lord? Number two, not slander, but life-giving. Who or what can you speak well of? Three, not big drinkers. Four, teach what is good. Five, train younger women. The Bible speaks very highly of age and the important role of older women. The Bible's filled with some poor examples and some wonderful examples of older women. A terrible example would be that of Athaliah, who murdered her grandchildren to secure the throne for herself. 
Another one was um, uh, a bad time was for Miriam. Miriam and Aaron, when they became jealous of Moses and they criticized him. And they said, has not the Lord spoken, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them, and now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on the earth. But Miriam had some envy and some jealousy, and she's speaking criticisms. Here's good examples. Naomi was a great example of an older woman. And even after she lost her husband and both of her sons, she's thinking of other people. Watch this. When her two daughter-in-laws um, begin to travel back with her to home, her homeland, Naomi's going back to live in her homeland, she's thinking of them, and she says, no, don't come with me to where I'm going. You still have a chance to remarry and have families of your own uh, in your own native land. And, um, and even after Ruth continues with her, and Obed goes back to her land, Ruth continues, she's offering insight and wisdom and encouragement to Ruth the younger woman. Powerful lady and a powerful testimony. She continued to trust God even through expressing her grief. Elizabeth never had any child. She's well past childbearing years when amazingly through the grace of God she conceived a son and her child became John the Baptist, the prophet who foretold the coming of Christ, prepared the way of the Messiah. She was an incredible encouragement to Mary, the mother of Jesus. She pronounced a blessing on the younger woman. She said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. She offered Mary protection and love and encouragement. I just read to you of Simeon. Uh, for the older men. Listen to uh, what happens right after Simeon's blessing. Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple, she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. You want to talk a lot? Talk a lot about the glory of God and his son. Jesus is the one. He's the Savior. He loves you. And she was going around blessing God and telling people the good news. Here is a gem verse. For older ladies. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. Naomi and Elizabeth and Anna still producing fruit and very green. These are women of prayer. These are praying women. often heard it said that um, we'll be very surprised when we get to heaven and we see that the praying of people accomplished a lot more than the physical ambition and wisdom of our lives did. 1 Timothy 5, 9-10 The early church took it upon themselves to give special honor to those ladies who lived godly lives. 1 Timothy 5, 9-10 says, A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served others, other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? Bless the younger women. Speak blessings to them. That's what these ladies do. And how powerful is the example and the presence and the voice of our older women 
to our families and to our children and to our grandkids. And how blessed is my family to have Esther at age 88 taking time to be with my children and speaking love to them and laughing with them and affirming God's love for them. We have a lot of those ladies in our church, older ladies that are loving God and serving God and speaking truth and speaking good things, doing good works. Verse 4, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. How does our culture promote younger women today? Uh, it's being sexy or bold or loud or in your face. Take no nonsense from anyone. Self-reliant in charge of her own life. Don't tell her what she can and cannot do because I am woman. Hear me roar. That's right. She will use her beauty and sexuality to get what she wants. She promotes herself through selfies, fancy jewelry, latest clothes, clothing, hairstyles. Today's younger women feel the pressure of being a career woman in order to even have a sense of um, self-worth. It's a cultural norm. If you got it, flaunt it, or be your own boss. What is God's plan, number four, for younger women? In that verse that we just read, there's six things. Love their husbands and their children. That word love is the Greek word philandros which is loving friend, properly the special affection of a woman for her lifetime mate, embracing him as her calling, stewardship from God, philandros. Number two, live wisely. Three, be pure. Four, work in their homes. Five, do good. Six, be submissive to their husbands. We talked about Elizabeth's pregnancy and her blessing upon Mary. Let's look at Mary. Luke 2, 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. How did Mary find favor with God? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, his ancestor, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. You think Mary was frightened by these words or that she had worries or concerns or doubts? Or... Yet how did she respond? She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. She had the right heart posture before God. Ruth is another young woman who modeled Remarkable faith. She was a widow, as we just described. She traveled the difficult journey with her uh, mother-in-law, also widowed, Naomi, to Bethlehem. Despite her tremendous loss, she firmly believed that God would provide for her. She's a model of bravery and faith and obedience. She was faithful. She had a quiet spirit. She was a hard worker. She was teachable and she was obedient. Here's a gem verse for young women. Charm is deceptive. Beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. 
young women that respect God and love God and submit to the Lord, they will be praised. There's a gem chapter in the Bible. If you want to read Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, just in detail, verse after verse, talks about young women of God and how they conduct their lives. 1 Peter 3 speaks of young women. He says this, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God, and they accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right, without fear of what your husbands might do. The feminist movement would respond, how dare someone suggest that we be subject, subject to our husband? Paul is trying to suppress women, or Peter is trying to suppress women. No. No. Paul is recognizing the fundamental difference in roles that God instituted at the time of creation. Listen very carefully to this. Paul does not insinuate that men are superior to women. He does not insinuate that men are of greater value than women. But he does recognize the difference in roles. The easiest way for me to get my mind around it is, um, is dancing. And I don't know who's ever taken a dance class or danced. You have two people here to dance. One leads and one follows. And if they both try to lead, what happens? It's a chaotic experience. I have witnessed it myself. So you're trying to go this way. If that person's trying to go that way, you're trying to go down. They're going up. You're thinking a twirl would be good. They're not, or they're thinking the opposite way. And, and it's, it could be very funny um, and very chaotic. And God knew that. God knew that. God's, God is a God of wisdom and beauty. Listen to this. In the marriage that God designed, the man is to lead sacrificially. So here's the ideal. Here's the ideal. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that's how a man should lead his wife and his family. He should die for his wife. He should put her needs ahead of his own needs. That's what should happen. And the wife is to respect and to submit to the leadership of the husband in the same manner. I had this uh, demonstrated for me so well when I was in Minneapolis, and I was the only white guy at a church of about 40, and everybody was from Kenya and Nigeria, and our pastor is Pastor Linus uh, Nyambu Maganga, no, Maganga Nyambu, and his wife is Domatila, and they were both up on stage, and he would read the verse that the husband is supposed to lay down his life for his wife, and so he would, he would go down like this and symbolically like raise her up, and so she hears Domatila standing here, and he's bowing down and lifting her up. And it says, and the wife should submit to her husband. And she bows down a little bit lower, and she symbolically raises him up. And then he gets lower and tries to raise her up. And, she, and they're both like on the ground. They're on their stomachs trying to raise each other up. And we're laughing, but it was such a picture of God's ideal for marriage. The man was supposed to lead, but he was supposed to lead under the authority of God. And she was supposed to submit to that family structure and that unit and how far our culture has gone from that unit, and it's um, not appreciated or understood very well anymore. Can I tell you, by and large, that men are not as good as nurturing as women? Can I tell you that women have more estrogen than men do? Can I tell you that men are not as good at giving birth to babies as women? I'm just saying truthful statements here. Men in generally are physically stronger than women. Uh, studies have shown women to have the edge in many multitasking tasks, while men have the edge in linear tasks. It's actually 
shameful that society is attempting to ignore and blur the differences between men and women instead of celebrating them. God made a beautiful thing. He didn't mess up. The scripture is full of honorable and virtuous young women. The likes of Rebecca and Rachel and Abigail and Deborah and Ruth and Esther and Mary. Powerful women. Powerful women. And I see in our church many young women that are living this powerful life. Who are loving their husbands and their families so well. Who are sacrificing. Serving other families in the community. Doing good. Some, some of the families aren't making a lot of money, but they're shopping. The women are shop, shopping frugally to make ends meet, stretching the dollars so that there's always enough food to eat, clothes to wear. Many of them having great beauty, but not parading themselves around or seeking attention. These young women exude a gentle and quiet spirit, yeah. strength of character and faith, encouraging words, nurturing soundness. These women are making a difference in the lives of their husbands and families. And not because they're nagging them to death. It's not because they're laying down the law. They're calling the shots. But it's because of their purity and their reverence and their beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So influential and so powerful and so precious to God and so important to God's church. Where would we be without young women? The world would have blown itself up a thousand times already. Verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. How does culture paint young men? Lacking responsibility, living recklessly, living it up. Puts a precedence on muscles and money, looks strong, be wealthy. Yet it encourages bad decisions. Culture doesn't expect you to be serious. They don't take you seriously. Culture doesn't expect you to be pure or to exhibit self-control. Just do whatever feels good and then make excuses or tell a lie or stretch the truth. You don't need to be honest or work hard. Take a shortcut, make excuses, play the victim. Stay a kid. Don't take responsibility. Don't lead. Live for the temporary. Or just try to acquire a lot of knowledge so you can be smarter or better or bigger or stronger than someone else. Knowledge is king. Cultural norm, maybe I'm a toiserous kid, right? Toiserous kid. Here's God's plan for younger men. In the verse we just read, verse 6 and 7, five things, live wisely. The word in Greek is actually self-control, sound mind, temperate. Two, be an example. Paul is talking to Titus here. He's telling Titus, be an example to the younger men because you're a younger man. Titus was probably in his 20s or 30s. Do good works of every kind. Reflect integrity. Integrity. Reflect seriousness. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul's writing to another young man, Timothy, and he says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, in your purity. Maybe a lot of other young guys waste their life away waiting for opportunities, waiting for opportunities to come, trying to find themselves, wanting to have fun first, But a man of God takes his orders from the king. A young man of God takes his orders from the king. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Those that wait upon the Lord renew their strength and rise up with wings as eagles. When does a boy reach manhood? Some say it's when he turns 13, when his voice changes. When his voice changes. (laughs) When can he drive? Is that when he becomes a man? When he graduates, when he loses his virginity. Nope. A boy reaches manhood when he can submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. 
Samuel was a kid when he exuded such responsibility in hearing God's voice and obeying God's voice. A young boy. Many 50-year-olds remain a child today. I remember a kid I had in youth group years and years ago. He was always the first in line. He was a senior in our college youth group. We had 50-some-odd kids in the youth group, down to 7th grade, I believe, or 8th grade. So he's a 12th grader, but he'd be first in line, take the best seat on the bus, take the biggest cookie on the plate, first through the door, and I just wanted to shake him. And I would talk to him often and say, think about other people. You know, God has loved us. Jesus laid down his life for us. Let's lay down our life for other people. Uh, he went into the military, which is a good choice. It was a noble choice. But he spent the whole signing bonus on a brand new sports car. And I just, as I observed this boy, just foolish decisions and selfishness. Here's a definition of manhood for young men and comes from the quest for authentic manhood, men's fraternity. We've offered this so many times in the church because we can't find another men's curriculum that is as good as this one. We've offered 20, 30 different men's curriculums, and this has always been the best. We come back to it every couple of years. It's going to be offered this fall, and here's their definition for manhood. It's four parts. One, rejects passivity. Two, accepts responsibility. Three, leads courageously. And four, expects the greater reward, God's reward order their life by that type of definition. Joseph was a guy that did that in the Bible. Did what was right when no one was looking. Did the right thing. A young man should be diligent. Plan hard and work hard. Young men have a lot of energy. And they have a lot of ambition, and they have a lot of dreams, and they have a lot of hormones. And they need to channel that in constructive manners. You need to wait upon the Lord and work hard. Here's a, here's a uh, gem verse for men, <clears throat> young men. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Young men need to work hard. They need to give themselves to working hard and diligently. Working hard and doing good. And making wise decisions and having the right friends because bad company corrupts good character. You want to have the right friends. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hastiness... Shortcuts lead to poverty. Live pure. Stay busy. Plan well. Work hard. Do good. Surround yourself with the right people. We have these guys at Life Church. We have a lot of these guys at Life Church. They're working hard. They're surrounding themselves. They're asking to be accountable in different ways to different people. They're living disciplined lives, they're making good decisions. A few of those guys, one of them I asked to, uh, to come up and, and talk to us for about five minutes today, and that's Max Corum. Max, come on up. Good morning, Life Church. Hope you guys are all doing well today. So glad you guys are here. Thank you, Travis and Life Church, for giving me the opportunity and the privilege and the honor to speak on the Lord. Um, if you don't know, for you all that don't know me, my name is Max. Um, I'm, you know, I'm at a point in life where I never thought I would be, um, or I wouldn't be at this point in my life looking back. Um, I have a wife of three years now. Shout out Erica. I love you. I have a son of nine months now. Shout out Vincent. Love you, buddy. Um, so that makes me a family man. And being a family man, I have, you know, biblical roles that I need to follow and that I need to live by, one being uh, the spiritual leader of my household and another um, being the leader uh, by the choices I make, by the examples. And, you know, about six, seven years ago, you know, I was in a position sitting in church 
coming to church and listening to the sermon, listening to the message, and then, you know, really enjoying it, loving it, but then leaving church and, and acting completely differently on it. And people wouldn't know. You know, I was living the double identity. I was wearing the mask. I'd be outside of church. People wouldn't know. Um, I, wasn't def- I definitely wasn't acting like a Christian. And um, so I was thinking of a message to speak on that kind of portrayed both being the family man and being, you know, the choices that I make now. Um, I'm going to read here from Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. It says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not with as much heart as you want, but wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my household, me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And that's a decision I have to make here today, and that's a decision you have to make as well. Are you going to serve the God of materialism, the God of selfishness, the God of desires all around you? Or are you going to serve the one and true living God? Alexander the Great, he was asked how he conquered the world, and he answered by not wavering. I'm just going to read another verse here from James, uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible, James 1, uh, verses 6 through 8. says, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. For such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So that's a question here, you know, that I was struggling with a while ago, that you guys may be struggling with. You know, what is your relationship like with the Lord? Are you unstable in your relationship? Are you wavering in your relationship? Or are you totally committed to Christ as your Savior and your Lord? And this is a choice you need to make surrendering all to God so that you can be confident in your faith. Is Christ your priority? Is he your focus? Is he the number one person you go to? Do you rely on him completely and wholeheartedly? in your life. Uh, God demands first place, and there is no room on the throne of your heart for two gods. It's either Christ or other gods. And you must, when you come to Christ, you have to give him everything. You have to deny yourself and take up the cross. Um, In the gospel, it talks about a rich young ruler, rich young ruler coming up to Jesus and asking him, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus answers, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, take up the cross, and follow me. And when the ruler heard that, he was saddened, he was grieved by the answer and the response that Jesus gave him. Why? Because he loved Christ, but he loved his money more. And the Bible says there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. Jesus says, I am the way, the only way, to permanent joy, everlasting peace, forgiveness, access to the Father, and to eternal life. Jesus says, come by me. The cross before the crown. And some people want the crown before the cross. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and materialism. And another choice needed to be made is between two fathers. Between God the Father, and if you're not serving God the Father, then the devil is your spiritual father. That may not be something you want to hear. That may not be something you want to admit. But that's what God is saying. If you're not serving him, you're choosing the devil. And I didn't say that. The Bible says that. The Bible says that in John 8, verse 44. And you're asked to cast a vote for God or the other gods. Which is your priority? And that's the focus, and that's the main point I kind of want you to look at. When I was sitting in your position, when I was sitting in church years back, even sometimes today, I'm thinking, man, I love God, but am I living completely, am I living wholeheartedly for him? Tonight, you might be reminded of your lifestyle and some since some priorities that you're putting before him, the Holy Spirit might be bringing them to your mind right now. But just remember that Jesus today offers forgiveness and justification just as if you've never sinned. You are forgiven, cleansed, and God no longer remembers your sin. Um, eternal life is a decision. It does not begin when you die. It begins when you make that choice to follow God and remain following him wholeheartedly. So choose now, because nowhere in the Bible does it promise tomorrow. Time is of the essence. If you do not make that decision, time will make it for you, and that is such a scary thought. Um, I wear this wristband that says, starve your distractions and feed your faith. You know, those distractions that you have in your life might not be easy to get rid of, to to clear, to starve, to get out, 
But what is a distraction that's not pointing to Christ and that's pointing you away? What can you remove from your life to give God everything that you have? C.S. Lewis has a quote, one of my favorite ones. It says, you do not have a soul, you are a soul, and you have a body. You do not have a soul, you are a soul, and you have a body. I just ask you, friends, which one are you living for today? Are you living for your soul and living for Christ and living for eternity? Or are you living for your body, for things that are going to diminish, for your desires, for yourself? So again, I thank you guys for the time to come up and preach. I'm just going to close my set in prayer. Pastor Travis is going to come up and uh, kind of nail it home, bring it home. Um, One of the services, you know, like he's given today, really impacted my life. So I thank you, Travis, for speaking strongly and speaking diligently, speaking biblically, biblically. Um, yeah, we can just close in prayer here. Lord, we pray that you just awaken our hearts to love you, to know you, to serve you, and to represent you to a watching world. Lord, sometimes we know that our family and friends make choices that can be destructive choices, but Lord, in our lives we pray that we would come to a decision that Joshua came to concerning his, to concerning his Lord and his family, that no matter what other people do, we will serve the Lord. So, Lord, we are thankful for your presence and commit this time to you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Matt. As we close, notice that most of the attributes listed for older women Older, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, involve character, not knowledge or skill. A person's lifestyle and relationships provide a window into his or her character. God has such a great picture for us, such a great lifestyle for us, so noble, so meaningful. It's greatly rewarded very impactful. And the Holy Spirit's going to keep teaching us how to do that, how to become that and walk in that. Thank you, Lord, for your graces and mercies, for not leaving us in the gutter, but teaching us, Lord, your new kingdom principles, teaching us how to look like you. Lord, even now, Lord, we wait on you. And we ask you to bring to our mind, Lord, that which you want us to focus in on or submit to or surrender, Lord, in our life. Have your way, God. Give us strength, Lord, and fortitude. Place in us a fervency for your name, for your ways, Lord. Passion. Do what only you can do, Lord. 